and serving people since 1994. Available in local stores, including Costco. Caldyscoffee.com. I'm a Democrat. A liberal voice on a conservative talk show. What's the worst that could happen? It's Debate with the Democrat, featuring proud card-carrying Democrat Jeff Smith on 93.3 and AM 560 KWTO. Let's get ready to Well, after coming off an extraordinarily fiery interview, it's time to take a little bit of a nuanced approach to our next discussion with Jeff Smith. How do candidates and parties, how do parties decide what candidates they put up every year at the ballot? Little backstory. A couple years ago, a guy tried to run for office in Missouri. His name was Steve West. He was a big supporter of Adolf Hitler. Republican Party said, nope, not going to let you on the ballot. This year, the Democrats told a former member, Sarah Unsker, no, you've tweeted anti-Semitic things. We're not putting you on the ballot. Republicans today removing Daryl McClanahan from the ballot after pictures surfaced of him burning a cross and giving a Sig Hale salute. So, Jeff, how do is there a bright line rule that parties should follow for how they pick and choose their candidates? It's a great it's a great question, Elijah. Um, and I don't think there is a bright line. Uh, I mean, it's it's every case is different. I do think Republicans are totally justified in moving someone who's been a known KKK sympathizer. Uh, and I'm glad they did. Um, as far as the Democrats, I think the case is a little more nuanced. Sarah Unsicker, who's the uh, current state representative from a district in St. Louis County has probably had some, I think from afar, I'm not a, I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I don't, tend to like it when people do these diagnoses from afar, but based on her erratic behavior uh, and posting on social media over the last several months, it does appear that she's experiencing some um, fairly significant mental health challenges. And I'm not sure that that uh, in and of itself should be basis to deny her access to the ballot as a Democrat. I tend to prefer that parties make these decisions for themselves unless there's some, you know, really egregious, uh, you know, thing that's been done, like openly associating with the KKK. What are your thoughts? Well, and that's the tough part. And I, I'm, you know, I've, I've been wrestling with this in my mind because I love objective standards, bright line rules that, that, that everybody knows, okay, if you cross this line, X happens. But in these cases, it's all very, it's almost case by case, which occasionally will lead to results like Sarah Unsker, where there are some Democrats that are like, wait, we may disagree with her and think she has, you know, we may be concerned for her mental well-being or emotional well-being, and we may question some of the people she's associated with, but the Democratic Party is choosing not to let their members even have a say in whether to vote for or against her. Similarly, Republicans, and I think rightfully so, both on McClanahan, but also on Steve West, making that same decision. The problem is when you start trying to extrapolate this to other cases, 
you suddenly it, you get into these real gray areas. We're like, wait, are we denying people the right to pick their representatives? Yeah, I mean, you know, and then it flows upwards right to the presidential race uh, with what seeing, you know, in a few different states where there have been efforts to disqualify uh, former President Trump from the ballot and what exactly constitutes, you know, an, an act of insurrection is, is the question being discussed at that level. And so I think the whole concept of ballot eligibility and who should be making these determinations is probably as salient this cycle as it's ever been. Well, let me give you, here's, uh, which, here's a really interesting case. Uh, and I only know this, I was in D.C. last week. And I was, and you may know about this, but I was, I was talking to this guy. He's telling me about this state senator in Virginia, a, a delegate Joe, named Joe is, Morrissey. Is Joe, what, Joe Morrissey. Yes, totally of course you know Joe the story. story. So Joe, Joe Morrissey, he, who is a Democratic state rep, he impregnates his very young intern, and was nineteen. Is, she was nineteen. Or nineteen. Yeah, but she's. I mean, she, he's fifty-seven. She's. She's pretty young. Um. And because of that, he ends up going to, I believe he ends up going to jail. Um, and, he's a, and he's a criminal defense lawyer himself, right. interestingly. So they they kick him out of the legislature, or he resigns, and they schedule special, but he's like, I'm going to run for the seat anyways. He's, he was showing up to the legislature with a, you know a, 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 something on his ankle, but he's like, I'm going to run in the special. And he runs and wins. Because the, the voters of that district are like, he's our guy. That's who we want representing him. Now, the Democratic Party of Virginia could have said, listen, we're not going to let him run. The guy is, you know, he's got problems in his personal life. He's been to jail, all this kind of stuff. But they allowed the voters to pick, and the voters picked that candidate with those warts on them. That was who they wanted. So then that's the, the rub is like, how do you make a decision as a party who you allow your voters to elect? That's that's uh, all. That's right. Um, I, I know a little bit about the Joe Morrissey case. At one time, Elijah, I believe Joe Morrissey and I were uh, two of of maybe four or five white state senators in the country representing majority black districts. And so, while I didn't know him personally, I had followed his his story a little bit, and he had been uh, a lawyer who worked to represent um, largely indigent criminal defendants um, in the black community in his district. And had this had engendered a huge reservoir of goodwill in the community. And so he had a lot of people who, who loved him. Uh, and, you know, for his years and years of, of community work. Now, that became a lot more complicated when it emerged that his, uh, you know, intern was pregnant. And he had not only impregnated her, but they had taken some kind of distasteful pictures together. Uh, did you see any of those, Elijah? Do you know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about. Um, in a southern state, they took pictures that were reminiscent of, like, antebellum relationships between uh, an older white man and a younger black woman. So they, they dressed up in, like, Civil War era clothes and it was really offensive to a lot of people and so it wasn't it, it, yes i think the, the the huge age gap between them and the fact that she had worked in his office as an intern were troubling the 
oftentimes with these and scandals. Morrissey mean, had multiple multiple children with multiple women while he had his relationship with his intern. He he, he had he 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 was literally the the epitome of an absolutely walking disaster from a media perspective. Yes, he was, and it got worse when she found out. Uh, the the intern with whom he had the child, I think, found out about another woman and then took to social media to accuse him of lots of other things. So when he tried to go a step higher and run for Congress, that's when it all caught up with him. Uh, and the Democratic Party nationally was kind of working against him and trying to make sure that he didn't get to but Congress. Again, because they never once said you are not allowed to run. That's right. And that's, that's, right. that's that decision, I mean, that's like that's like the death penalty for a candidate is we're not even give you a chance to sell voters on you. We are going to end this before the voters have a chance to weigh in, which is a fairly extreme stance to take. And, and you know, from my perspective, it is is one that you do very, very, very carefully, because once you start that process, as you mentioned, you know, there's some people are like, well, Donald Trump shouldn't be on the ballot. We had a governor a few years ago that was uh, some pretty significant felonies were alleged about him. Like you get into this area where the party leadership has to make a lot of tough decisions that involve not giving voters the chance to weigh in. And the real the real final arbiter, this is like a judge saying, I'm not even going to let the jury weigh in on this. I'm going to decide this for the jury. Yeah. And like, look, the Missouri Republican Party. Uh, has made this decision with respect to a no-name gubernatorial candidate, but could be in a not-too-dissimilar predicament if Eric Greitens, the governor who you just referenced uh, from from several years ago, decides to try yet another comeback in the Missouri's third congressional district from which uh, Blaine Lutkemeyer uh, has announced his retirement. So, you know, he Greitens was, was toxic and... He caused national Republicans to spend, I think, eight figures, more than $10 million to come in and try to beat him in the U.S. Senate primary last time in, in 2022, which redounded to Eric Schmidt's benefit. You remember the famous Donald Trump endorsement of Eric when he couldn't decide between the two. And it'll be interesting to see if he does try to file in Missouri's third congressional district, how the Missouri Republican Party responds to that. Absolutely. Given all, given all of the allegations of everything from spousal abuse to child abuse to to huge campaign finance violations to theft, and this, is, and this is the problem is is two years ago. Uh, listen, you never want to be the person who's like, well, let this bad bad actor on the ballot. But I remember this two years ago when Steve West. There was a debate about Steve West who had, had tweeted his or posted about how he's pro Adolf Hitler. And the Missouri Republican Party said, we're going to kick him off the ballot. And I was like, listen, they're making the right decision. But once you kick one person off the ballot, everybody suddenly has got an opinion about who else should not be on the ballot. And and you don't get to all of a sudden you're going to be con- charged with double dealing and double standards and a variety of a, a raft of other things. When you the easy action would be like, hey, anybody can run. We'll let the voters sort them out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and where do you draw that line? You know, suppose, you know, the Republican Party, which has taken strong stances for, you know, on personal morality. And then you have an inveterate gambler, you know, someone who 
like spends all of his time at downstream casino, tries to file for office. What do you do about that? You know, someone who's, <laughs> uh, you know, listen, I think, I think gambling is no longer uh, one of the vices that it, that it may have used to be. Um, thankfully, <laughs> thankfully I'm, I'm, uh, but okay. So, so, and this is, you know, we, we talk about debate with a Democrat and a lot of times you and I just yell at each other about Donald Trump or the border, but this is a really nuanced decision. And I'm really, I don't think there is a standard that honestly either party will ever come up that will satisfy everybody. I'm sorry, say that again. Well, I, I mean, but I do think the Republican Party has made the Missouri Republican Party has made the correct decision yes. in this case. Yeah, and if, and and I totally support. And I think every Republican across the state um, supports them in this. But it's also one of those: if I'm the state party chairman or I'm the executive director and in the state committee, and you're making these decisions, you almost want to sit down and say, "Okay, what are we going to say when somebody comes back and says now you need candidate X off the ballot?" For the next reason, it becomes, you know, do you meet and confer on every single one of the? It becomes somebody of a cumbersome, challenging, complicated decision. I absolutely agree. And, uh, and, and as I said, I think that, the, um, you know, there, there's, you have a reaction within a party. You don't want your dirty laundry aired publicly as a party. You don't want the people, you know, did you ever have like an uncle? that when you take him out would just say totally embarrassing things at family gatherings and you just wished he wasn't there. Well, political parties have those uncles, right? And you want to keep them indoors. You don't want them out there saying things publicly that hurt the brand of your party. And, um, that's, that's the dilemma, you know? Um, what do you do when you have one of these people that you know is going to tarnish your party's brand during an election year and probably say inflammatory things and draw a lot of negative attention? On the other hand, it's a free country. And if people want to run for office, they should be able to run for office, right? Uh, so that's where I think both parties find themselves. And I think both parties have so-called perennial candidates on the ballot this year who are probably going to be drawing a lot of attention by saying outrageous things. And in the age of Trump, it's harder and harder to break out and get that kind of attention because people are saying things routinely that would have been unthinkable a decade ago. Wouldn't you agree with that? I would, but I also think, and this is where it gets tricky. So I took uh, free speech when I was in law school. You, you could take it as a class. It was the only class in law school I did uh, really well on. And then I clerked my second <laughs> summer at a free speech institute um, where we did a lot of amicus briefs on on school speech issues and things like that. And one of the things that I, I remember constantly is that the only the only people that the First Amendment is for are the people that say horrible things. Like, nobody cares if I'm like, Jeff Smith's a bad person, because everybody's like, yeah, you could have your opinions. But you say something that people are like, you should not be able to say that in the public square, that's where the First Amendment actually matters. And so I'm not a fan of the ACLU, but organizations like the ACLU have have basically said, hey, somebody has to stand up for free speech. And this is what we've got with both McClanahan and Unsicker and Steve West is they're saying horrible things. And are we by saying we're not even going to allow the, the, the Missouri people to, 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 to have an option of voting them? Are we in some way circumventing free speech? I don't think we are because I don't think you have a right to be a Republican. I think that's a privilege. Same with the Democratic right. Party. 
But I, I think those issues of free speech, especially in today's age of cancel culture and all that, those buzzwords, the, the, I feel like free speech is, is as important now as it's ever been. And, and, and I think it's, as, it's in jeopardy now as much as it's ever been. And I think that's true on both sides. You know, because I, I think um, I've seen a disturbing trend. You know, I was a college professor for a long time. And I was a professor at a pretty progressive place in New York City. And one of the things that I really abhorred was seeing kids who didn't want to be exposed to ideas that bothered them. And to me, um, that's what America is all about, is about, hey, like, these people are going to say things that I totally disagree with, and it is their right to say those things. And unless you want to be a hermit, you know, unless you want to completely withdraw from society, you're going to have to learn how to live with that. And and grapple with ideas. And with a great, I mean, a, a great example: Shane Gillis, the comedian who just hosted SNL this last weekend. You know, big controversy. He'd been fired from SNL for for making some racially charged jokes. Now he's like a super successful comedian. They bring him back on. He says a bunch of things that are very controversial. He's, like, he's almost like a white Dave Chappelle, where it's like constantly like poking at different racial stereotypes to get laughs from the audience. And it's fascinating to watch this discussion and debate in the public square. I will need to, to uh, you're always way ahead of me on oh, pop culture. You don't know about the shade. Oh my, it just, you are, you, you are, you, for a guy who, who is as in communication with the world as you are, I am blown away at your lack of knowledge of headlines these days. <laughs> I am your, just there, there's life outside the four squares of the Missouri Capitol. <laughs> well, May 17th, there will be for me. Uh, once one, one session ends and I've, I've killed all your party's terrible legislation. <laughs> Jeff, if anybody wants to follow along with the work that you do or follow you on social media, how do they do that? They should go on X, Elon Musk's platform, uh, and go to at Jeff Smith Mo, at Jeff Smith M-O. Very good. And I will be making lots of commentary on the uh Pending Trump legal situation, uh, and the you know what we could have discussed the Supreme Court taking up his legal immunity claims. We'll save that for another one next week. Look forward to it, Elijah. All right, Jeff Smith, thanks so much for joining us today. We're going to be right back. We're gonna you know we're gonna have to just catch our breath a little bit because we've we've had two guests already. We get three more in the next hour. So we're gonna catch your breath a little bit in the next segment. Stick around. And learns who's there for him.